Cyrus. Cyrus is presented to us as another idolatrous king whom God uses not to punish the people for their rebellion, but to deliver them from their captivity and to restore them to their own land. He united the Medes and the Persians, and strengthened and so combined and directed the power of weaker nations as to overthrow and destroy Babylon. He found the Jews in bondage in Babylon, and ordered their freedom and restoration to Judea, and the building of their temple. God, through Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 28, and chapter 45, verses 1 through 6, says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open the doors before him, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the rugged places plain. I will break in pieces the doors of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord, which shall call thee by thy name, even the God of Israel. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Beside me there is no God." I will gird thee, though thou hast not known me, that thou may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. God called Cyrus my shepherd, mine anointed, and told that he led him, called him by his name before he was born, told what should be his work and fortune, that by his order his people should return to Judea, that Jerusalem and the temple should be rebuilt, and yet Cyrus knew not God, but was a wicked, idolatrous king. Clearly he did it with no view of honoring God. It was done to make friends of those who were oppressed and enslaved by Babylon. His course was that of a scheming, ambitious king seeking to circumvent and strengthen himself against his enemies. He neither was seeking the good of the Jews nor the honor of God. He knew not God, yet God called him my shepherd, because he overruled his wicked ambition to deliver and carry back to Judea his scattered sheep, and his anointed, because through him his temple was rebuilt. While Cyrus was thus gathering to their own land as a shepherd the scattered flock of God, and ordering the rebuilding of the temple, God permitted no affinity with his people or dependence upon his government for help or support. It was at this return to Jerusalem that they were required to put away their wives and their children that they had married and begotten in their captivity. When they were on their way back to Judea, beset by their enemies, Ezra says in chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, For I was ashamed to ask of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them that seek him for good, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. 
clearly indicating that it was a distrust of God to seek or rely for help upon the human government even when God was overruling the wicked ambition of this ruler to deliver his people and to bring them back to their land and to rebuild the temple of God. The king ordered gold and silver supplies to a certain amount with all the sacred vessels that had been taken from Jerusalem to be given to them. This was doubtless a return for the spoliation made upon them when they were taken captive, and as necessary to the accomplishment of his purpose. This shows that all ordinances of God are not fit to be used by the children of God, and all servants or ministers of God are not his children, who maketh the winds his messengers, his ministers of flaming fire. Only those ordinances which are ordained for his children are fitted for the service of his children, and only those servants or ministers who voluntarily seek to do his will because they know him, and in order to honor him, are the accepted and approved servants who will receive his blessing. God clearly overrules the wickedness of men to accomplish his purposes, and in so using their wickedness, he calls them his ministers or servants, his shepherds or his anointed, according to the work he uses them to do. He overrules this wickedness so as to accomplish his purposes and ends, both with reference to his children, punishing or delivering as they deserve, and in punishing or destroying his enemies according to his purpose, and yet so overruling that in the end the wicked person or nations which he uses shall reap the bitterest fruits of their sin and crime. In illustrating this principle of God's dealings with men, we have at some length dwelt upon the facts presented in the cases of Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, as the principle is so clearly set forth in these cases that none need mistake. But the same principle is manifest in his dealings with Pharaoh and Egypt, with the nations in Canaan. God said in his first promise to drive out the nations before Israel, I will send hornets before thee, which will drive out the Hivite, Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out before thee, until thou be increased and possess the land. These tribes were left to aid the children of Israel by preserving the land in a state of tillage and preventing the country being overrun with wild beasts until the Jews would so multiply as to fill the land. But the children of Israel intermarried and affiliated with these nations, and they became a chief curse to the children of Israel. The children of Israel, instead of destroying them, made them pay tribute, and made alliances and treaties with them. In Judges 2 and verse 2, God reminds them of his law. Ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. This proved to be true. The book of Judges is but a recounting of Israel's sins. They are delivered into the hands of their enemies to punish them. A deliverer in turn arises to destroy their enemies who punished them. Hell is an ordinance of God for the punishment of the obdurately rebellious. 
In punishing the rebellious, it is a terror to evil works and a minister of good to the children of God. It ministers good to them by discouraging sin and weaning them away from sin. In the same sense, the devil is the servant or minister of God to execute wrath and vengeance on the enemies of God. The devil is the chief and leader of all rebels against God. God so overrules his rebellion as to make his domain, his home, a fit place for the punishment of the perversely rebellious. God uses the devil as his servant, his minister to inflict punishment on all those who are finally impenitent. God so overrules that the devil, while inflicting punishment on other rebels, himself as the chiefest sinner, suffers the fullest measure, the most excruciating torments of this home of the damned. Another thought is, God declared he would drive out those nations before Israel if Israel would be faithful to him as the only governor of the world. He would go before them, send his angel before them, send hornets before them, and drive their enemies out. Many such expressions indicate that had the Jews been faithful to him, the deliverance would have been without suffering or loss to them. This principle is laid down in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nations that keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So in these wars, when the children of Israel pleased the Lord, he delivered their enemies into their hands without suffering or loss to them. When they sinned, God imposed war upon them. Their victories were at the cost of suffering and bloodshed. When they sinned grievously, when they joined affinity with the human government, defeat and disaster befell them. Continued alliance with and dependence upon human governments brought captivity and slavery in foreign lands upon them, and finally their dispersion and destruction as a nation. This indicates that the necessity of war and conflict was laid upon them as a punishment for sin and rebellion against God, as a warning and training for a more perfect trust in God. Had they fully trusted God and had they been faithful to Him, God would never have used them as His sword to execute vengeance on His enemies. They were only used to punish others as a punishment to themselves. It is clear that the influence upon man that arose from forming and conducting human governments was to wean man from the government of God, make him feel independent of that government and of his Maker. It inspired his heart with the idea that man is more than a servant. He naturally magnifies his own works and his own institutions so that but few men will give their time and service to the human government, but that they soon come to think the human government much more essential to the world's well-being than the divine government. The introduction of human additions into the divine institution has the same tendency. Men who introduce, operate, and support human additions to the government of God soon come to so magnify these human additions that they esteem them of more importance to the well-being of the servants of God than any of the God-ordained appointments of His institution. This is but the working of human nature. 
a proper understanding of these principles and manners of God's working among and dealings with the world is essential in any just understanding of the origin, mission, and destiny of human governments, their relation to God, and of the relation that the Christian and Church of God sustain to them.